I'm going to miss that trailer, I think, you know. <laughs> like especially celebrate anniversary. No, move it down here. No, move it over here. You know, that's just the way life is. And we're in a series called Room to Breathe, and it's something that everybody needs to know, how to find pace in life, how to not let life dictate its terms to you, but rather uh, you be in charge uh, with God's favor and God's blessing of your life. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This is an important series and it's an important topic. If you've not heard you know, all of the presentations, they are still available online at our homepage and we would encourage you to go back and listen to them about the importance of setting focus. This is not a time management course. You know, this is God saying, you know, you're going to do better if you have a focus, if you have your priorities set. You're going to do better if you have other people alongside you. And a message talked about how to do that, especially Christian people, although not only Christian people, as you are also a witness to others in life, and how you can't please everybody. So who are you going to disappoint and how are you going to disappoint them? And then today we're talking about maintaining the balance. And as I thought about this today, we're in Daniel chapter 6, the, the most familiar perhaps of all the stories in the Bible about Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, I, I think about how misinformed many of us are about Daniel in the lion's den, even going back to Sunday school pictures that I've seen or my children have brought home and they always show a young boy, you know, thrown into a lion's den and, and an angel, you know... Uh, you know, closing the mouth of the lions, and, and he's in prayer, and, and uh, there's some truth to that, but in fact, it wasn't a young boy, Daniel. It was an old man, Daniel. You think about Daniel being, you know, removed from Jerusalem when uh, Babylon first conquered the country about age 20. Well, we're now fast-forwarding, you know, some 50 years you know, so he's probably a 70-year-old man who's thrown into the lion's den. And I thought, well, maybe if this is your first Sunday or you've just kind of lost track or don't really know where Daniel fits into the history of the Bible, it would be good to start today's message and just kind of bring you up to date on how God worked through time and history uh, for this moment. And it was a watershed moment in the history of the nations as well as in the life of this individual. So I've asked uh, that eight points be put on our screen here. Uh, Jerusalem had been conquered and destroyed. Um, that happened about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. So that's the era that we're thinking about. Old Testament, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, uh, had been conquered and destroyed. In, in fact, even before that, you recall Assyria had come down from the north, destroyed all ten tribes of the north, but came against Jerusalem, attempted to destroy the southern tribes as well. But God intervened, sent an angel, and destroyed the army of Sennacherib. Maybe you remember that story. Uh, maybe you don't. But the southern tribes were spared because they were more faithful than the northern tribes. They were not as idolatrous in their worship practice. So God spared them for a time. But they also had evil kings. And, and they also uh, opposed God and did not honor him uh, as the true God. We know that uh, Egypt came through Israel to oppose Assyria when Assyria was such a strong and might uh, of the world. And uh, we know that Josiah, the good King Josiah, who reigned for about 30 years, was eight years old when he became a king, uh, went out and confronted Egypt because they were walking through his land. And, and we know that even then he was conquered, Josiah, 
uh, Jerusalem's king was conquered. He was actually killed in that battle. And Egypt sacked Jerusalem. You know, we don't know what treasures Egypt might have taken back to uh, Cairo, back to their home when they sacked uh, the Holy Land. Uh, if, if you've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know that they're digging for the Lost Ark in Egypt. That's why. Maybe they think that some of those treasures were taken at that time to Egypt. But uh, they were allowed to continue to reign as a country uh, under the control of Egypt until Babylon became a world power. In about 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar brought his armies, conquered Jerusalem, threw Egypt's control uh, out the window, and now they switched bosses from Egypt to Babylon uh, to the east. And uh, Babylon allowed a puppet king to continue to rule, you know, to collect taxes, to have some local authority. You know, Nebuchadnezzar put a king in charge. This king eventually became, uh, you know, somewhat too sure of himself. He opposed God. He opposed Jeremiah, his prophet. And he began also in his arrogance to oppose Babylon. Babylon said, you know, I put you in charge, but I'm still, you know, in charge of your country. And so Nebuchadnezzar came again and sieged Jerusalem, completely destroyed the city. The last thing he did was he took that king who was Zedekiah, he brought his sons in front of him. He killed his sons, the last thing he would ever see. Then he put his eyes out and he carried him in chains to Babylon. Now that's what happened to Jerusalem. The brightest and the best, however, were taken captive to Babylon. Not all the people were destroyed. You see, these slaves were precious slaves because they were educated. They could read and write. And in fact, they developed quite a culture in Babylon. Although they were slaves, they were treated well because they could manage the country for the people of Babylon. In fact, uh, this is where the business acumen of the Jewish people really developed. In fact, later when they were allowed to return, many of them didn't even want to go back and rebuild Jerusalem or rebuild uh, the temple because their life had become kind of cushy, you know, in Babylon. Even though they were slaves, they had a pretty good life there. And so Daniel and his friends were so honored uh, and, and so wise because of God's influence on their life that they actually became magi, or they became advisors to the king. They were placed in charge of his kingdoms. And so while they were slaves, yet because of their education, because of their intelligence and wisdom and God's favor, the Israelites, including Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, were honored and even placed in leadership positions. We continue. Now after 40 years, the king of uh, Babylon dies. Nebuchadnezzar dies. This whole time, uh, we've had the fiery furnace. God has proven himself faithful. These people, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, had only become more powerful under this man who was king. When he died, new kings arose. In fact, there was a, a battle for the kingdom. And from 6 to 12 years, uh, Babylon is overthrown. Well, actually had different kings uh, battling for control. And then is finally over come by the Persians who become a world dominant empire until the Greeks and then until the Romans. So Persia uh, comes and overthrows Babylon, uh, the nation and the city. And Darius or Cyrus, king of Persia, these could be the same guy. Historians disagree as to whether Darius was actually a governor or whether it's just another name for Cyrus. But in any case, Cyrus, age 62, uh, now conquers the entire country of Babylon, which includes, you know, land all the way to Egypt. And he can't rule all that, doesn't want to rule all that. He's more of a, a commander of an army. And so he puts three people in charge of the former Babylonian country. One of them was Daniel. People became jealous. 
you know, other advisors to kings became jealous because Daniel was given this honor by the new king and by the new empire. Daniel, now an old man, is accused of treason. So let's go to chapter 6 and let's begin our reading and and discern some points. We're beginning at verse 5 in chapter 6. Finally, these men said, these men who uh, were jealous of Daniel's newfound respect in the eyes of the Persian king, not just the Babylonian king. Finally, these men who were jealous of him said, you know, we will never find any basis for charge against Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God, because we know he won't compromise there. So these administrators, these satraps, went as a group to the king, to the new king Cyrus, and they said, may King Darius or King Cyrus live forever. You know. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have all agreed that you, O Darius king, should issue an edict, you know, because you're just a new king and you want to make sure you have loyalty here, and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any other god, shows any other kind of uh, loyalty, or to any other human being, during the next 30 days, while you establish yourself as the new king, unless they give that authority to you, your majesty, they should be thrown into the lion's den. You know, they were, they were polishing the apple. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered. See, these guys were sharp. They knew something about how the Persians worked. In accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, because once a law is given like that, not even the king who made the law could ever change it which can never be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And so this trap has been laid for Daniel. Don't you think Daniel must have sighed, you know? How many times are we going to go through this? Here we go again. How many times, you know, have I been challenged? How many times has jealousy on the part of other advisors Men who worship other gods, how many times have they tried to undermine me before authority? I think the first point I want to make is that life has a way of unraveling. You know, I, I like to say in the winch of life, there is no auto stop. You know, a winch always moves things further and it can't release unless you release it. In the winch of life, things do unravel. In fact, I call it the second law of thermodynamics as applied to social order. I know enough about science to be dangerous, but I do know that in the, uh, the law of thermodynamics, especially the second law of thermodynamics, there's a principle of entropy there. And entropy says this, in any natural process, there exists an inherent tendency towards dissipation of useful energy. You know, in any natural process, things become diffused. In any natural process, things become uh, diber- uh, dispersed or, or there becomes loss. For instance, a garden. If you don't keep after a garden, what happens? Weeds grow. You know, if you don't keep after your house, if you don't do your housework, what happens? Dust settles. Kids' toys develop. Clutter happens. You know, tools become rusty. Animals grow old. Plants wither. In the natural order, things degenerate. You know, that's true in the natural order. That's also true in social order. That's also true in spiritual matters. The devil is always lurking. The devil is always waiting for another opportunity. You can beat him back, but it doesn't mean he's defeated. It doesn't mean he will leave you forever. You know, even Jesus, you know, when he was first tempted... Uh, in the wilderness after his baptism. 
You know, he defeated the devil by appealing to God and by uh, speaking the word to the devil. And what does the scripture say? It says, so the devil left him for a more opportune time. You know, the devil is lurking still for a more opportune time. He won't leave you alone. He would not leave Daniel alone. Even though Daniel had proven faithful, he was still trying to get to Daniel. In other words, you never arrive in life. You know, it, it, it's that way in your marriage. You know, for, for you guys who said to your wife, you know, I told you I love you on the day we're married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. You know, <laughs> that's probably not going to work for you. I'm just, you know, just a piece of advice. You know, if you're not building into that, you know, vision leaks, you know, life has a way of uh, fading, memory lapses. And the same is true of spiritual matters. You have to continue to pour into your life. It's not enough for you at age 13 to be confirmed in the Christian faith and say, I will suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from this faith. Daily prayer. You know, one one fifteen six, the 15, 15 minutes a day in some kind of spiritual devotion for you. You know, that's why we uh, gather weekly in worship. And if you begin to avoid your weekly worship, I'm guaranteeing you that your life will uh, become more difficult to manage. Even Jesus, when he offered the Lord's Supper, said, do this often in remembrance of me. You know, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, although it's suspect as to whether he said it or not, but he said the cost of freedom is eternal vigilance. And so it is with the cost of faithfulness. You know, you have to continue to pour into your life uh, continued growth because if you're not growing you're falling. There's no way that you will stay the same. You don't just arrive and stay there. Uh, Daniel was never without temptation, never without trial. Let's continue with verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he was well aware of what it meant, he went home to his upstairs room to where the windows were opened towards Jerusalem Three times a day, he still got down on his knees and he still prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. They knew he would be praying. They knew when he would be praying. They knew his customs. And they knew that he was asking God for help. So they went and they found it to be so. And they went and spoke to the king about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The trap was sprung. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you treason, treason, your majesty, or to the decree that you have put into writing. He still prays three times a day. He has loyalties other than you, O king. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. It doesn't say he was angry. It doesn't say he was furious about Daniel. He was greatly distressed because he knew he had been tricked. And he was determined to rescue Daniel. He loved Daniel. He respected Daniel. He had spent some time with him. He had chosen him to be one of the three rulers of his nation. And he made every effort until sundown to figure out a way to save him. The king was distressed, but Daniel was not distressed. Let me read again verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, what did he do? 
He entered into his house. He went to the upper chamber where the windows were open to Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God. Not crying, not mourning, giving thanks to God as he had always done previously. Circumstance is not a good time to set your values. Difficult times are not a good time to decide who you are and who you aren't. And difficult times are not a good time to change who you are and who you aren't. Circumstance should not determine what kind of a person you are. Circumstance should not determine what kind of a wife you will be, what kind of a husband you can be. Circumstance, whether your kids are good or whether your kids are a struggle, should not determine what kind of a father, what kind of a mother you are, what kind of an employee you are. Circumstance should not control what kind of an employee you're, you are, what kind of a student, what kind of a teacher, or what kind of a church member you are. You know, that should be settled. And you should be consistent as Daniel was consistent. You know, armies declare rules of engagement before the battle. They do that so that everybody knows, here's what we will do, here's what we will not do, here's who we are. You know, we just sang a song about amazing grace. My chains are gone, I have been set free. You know, it doesn't matter what circumstance of life, I'm free in Christ. And I know that God will be with me. That's why we teach our kids the, the Ten Commandments still. These are the moral laws that were morally true in the Old Testament and the New Testament are still morally true today. You know, these are the ways in which you can hedge your life with God's favor and, and be sure that in any condition you will know what God will want for you and you will be able to act not based on the circumstance of the moment, what will be favorable for you at the moment or what will lead to trouble for you at the moment, but this is consistently who you will be. It provides a, a basis of action, and it's powerful to live that way. That's the way Daniel lived. He even came and gave God thanks. I don't know how this is going to work out for me, but it's going to work out for me. Because, Lord, you have always been with me in the past. You know, how true is this for us as Christians? You know, if God did not spare his own son, but gave Jesus up for us all, what does that say about difficult circumstances? I mean, if God was faithful in the most important thing in my life, if he has guaranteed my eternal life, then won't he also provide for my temporary life, my momentary struggle? If he has provided for the greatest struggle, good versus evil. And then also in your own life, think back on the difficulties that you've had. You've all had difficulties and how God has enabled you to weather those. Draw from those times. And realize that those are some of the times that character is best developed. You don't want a life that is free from difficulty. It is in difficulty that your faith is evidence to those around you. It is in difficulty that your faith has an opportunity to be expressed. It is in difficulty that you personally grow the most. We continue. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel. And they did as the law required. They tossed him into the lion's den. This did not please the king. He was sad that it became so. He was sad that he was complicit in the trap that others had set for Daniel. And the king said to Daniel, before he allowed him to be thrown into the, to the lion's pit, he said, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you, Daniel. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his ring, poured wax, 
sealed it with his ring and the rings of also his nobles so that no one could secretly rescue Daniel, you know, as soon as they walked away. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He was in a dither about Daniel, and he felt so bad about the situation. And at first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has the God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. Can you imagine what that moment was like for the king? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, in God's sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, king. I have not undermined your authority. I live by my faith. I believe in my faith. Uh, This is a personal matter for me. Uh, I'm not ashamed of my faith. I won't hide my faith. But I have not used my faith to oppose you. I have not undermined you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. And he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God. What a powerful moment for everyone. You know, as Daniel was uh, found to be alive and well. You realize that in life much happens that is beyond your notice. Daniel could not see or foretell what effect his faithfulness would have on King Cyrus. Daniel could not know or foretell what effect his faithfulness would have on his accusers. Daniel could not see nor foretell what effect his faith would have on history. By the way, this is how God looks at you. He doesn't love you because he thinks you're a good investment. He doesn't say, well, if I love them and I help them at this time, then they're going to do wonderful things for me. Therefore, it's worthy of my attention and help. No, He allows the sun to rise and the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust alike. God does this because of who God is. You know, regardless of whether we earn or don't earn his love and affection. I love in the Old Testament this phrase that reoccurs and probably you just bust over it and don't think it's significant because it's found often. It says, for his own name's sake, God does this or does that. You know, God does things simply because who God is has nothing to do with who we are or what circumstance we find ourselves in. So God behaves in this fashion. Paul understood that, and and Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, said, I'm going to live that kind of a godly life. You know, and and it's not because things are always going to work out. It's not because uh, I'm guaranteed some outcome. It's just the way I need to live so that I'm not, you know, battered about by every circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. You know, things that I can't understand fully. You know, I'm still in charge of those, and I'm going to live by those things. He said, It's a small thing that I should be criticized by you for whether I do good or whether I do wrong. In fact, I don't even second-guess myself much, you know, and a lot of us do that. We kick ourselves, we should have done this, we should have done that. 
He said, it's not that I'm conscious that I've done wrong, and it's not that I believe that I've always done right. He said, I simply won't pass judgment on myself or allow others to pass judgment on me because here's how I live. I know that the day is coming when I will stand before God who chooses to judge me not on the basis only of my action, but even on the basis of my motive. You know, we can't always know, we can't always see what is happening around us. You can't know the effect that your faithfulness will have on the lives of others. Daniel's faithfulness had a huge impact on the lives of others. So does yours. You don't know that in this circumstance that you're facing, you know, that it's about you or maybe it's about somebody who's watching you. But it's an opportunity. And you may know or you may never know what God is doing as people watch you. You're not doing it on the basis of the effect you will have. You're doing it on the basis of the relationship that you do have with God because of Christ Jesus. This is why you live the life that you live. But know this, that your witness does have an impact. People are watching. It does matter how you live your life, how you evidence your faith. You cannot know what God is doing either and how God will intervene in your life. Daniel didn't know that he would send an angel. He didn't know whether he would be destroyed by the lions. Maybe that would be according to God's will in this situation. And that was okay with Daniel. (laughs) His chains were gone. He had been set free. You know, if death was waiting for him, that would be okay with him too. It wasn't what he desired, but it would be okay if that's what God wanted. And God sent angels. You can't see angels. You know, unless angels want to be seen. There are times in which they reveal themselves, but uh, there are angels all around us. There is such a thing as a guardian angel. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, See that you do not despise these little ones, children. He said, For don't you know that their angels always behold the face of God in heaven? There are such things as guardian angels. You know, thank God for that. You know, that they watch over our children. You know, often when children come through the communion line, I say, may the Lord's angels watch over you and protect you because there's so much harm that can come to children in this world. And sometimes harm does come to children. But that doesn't mean that God was not there. It does not mean that uh, the angels weren't nearby. Maybe they brought that child into the arms of God. But I know this, they did not die alone even in those circumstances. You know, God does things that we cannot see, and we should expect that. We should live in a world that believes in miracles. We should live in a world that believes that if we act faithfully, God will act faithfully, no doubt. We may not see what he's doing, but we can expect that he is doing something. And then finally, you cannot know the ultimate outcome of what your action will bring about. Certainly, uh, Daniel did not know that this action would change the course of history, but it did. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, the very last verses of that history book in the Old Testament, the Chronicle of the Kings, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord that was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah had said, God is going to carry all of Israel into captivity into Babylon. Babylon wasn't even a world power when he said that. People mocked him, laughed at him. In fact, they they abused him because of that prophecy. He said, but after 70 years, they're going to be returned. These exiles are going to be returned. And so God was using this circumstance to bring about the fulfillment of prophecy made by Jeremiah way back in the day. 
And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. He did it through Daniel. So that Cyrus sent a proclamation across the kingdom of the Persians, saying, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He truly was king of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, wherever there is among whoever there is among you, among all of his people, may the Lord God be with you. You are free to go up and to build. He not only gave them their freedom to go back to the Holy Land and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple, he also sent the means to do it. Out of his own treasury, he provided the means for them to go back and restore the city. Daniel didn't act because he knew that would be the case. He knew that God would do that, but he didn't know that he would do it through him. You can't always know the outcome of your faithfulness, but your faithfulness does have an outcome, perhaps in the lives of your children, perhaps in the lives of your wife, your husband, your business, your customers. You can't know. Maybe you'll never know. Maybe you will, but there will be outcome based on faithfulness. And then we have this Christian factor, this uh, extra reassurance as Christian people regarding this principle as found in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. In all of these things, all of life circumstance, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He continues, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, nothing present, nothing in the future, nor any powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus. It's an argument from greater to lesser. If he has done this, if he has sent Christ, if he has been faithful in time and in history to bring about your salvation, then why should you question him in the individual circumstance of life? Act in faith, believing that something will happen even if you do not know and cannot see what it will be. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, it's tough to live in the balance of being in the world and not of the world, uh, to maintain our own values uh, when it looks as though our Christian values will bring trouble and difficulty into our life. Help us to believe, Lord, that we do not act alone, that, that you walk with us. And although Daniel could not know the impact it would have on others, although Daniel could not see how you would act, you know that Daniel could not foresee the outcome of his faithfulness. He trusted. He had personal experience. He had historic perspective. And he trusted. Lord, help us to also trust that in faithfulness to you, you will show up and you will provide in ways that will surprise us and in ways that will affirm your divinity in the eyes of the world. We ask it in Christ. Amen.